Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Professor Birinder Pal Singh, who is at the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Punjabi University. And we're speaking about a fascinating book called Six in the Deccan and Northeast India. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. So can you tell us a bit about your object of research? Um, uh, how did this project come about and, and who are you studying? See, uh, thank you, Raj, for having me here. See, uh, we have a minority commission of India. They wanted me to do this work. <clears throat> there was a, a study earlier done by some other people, and that too was commissioned by the minority commission of India. But then that was a very small, the scope was very large, the sample was very large, more than 3,500 respondents. But the whole and the 14 states were covered, 14 states, Indian states were covered in the north, in the center, and the south of India. But unfortunately, that was, the whole thing was summed up in just in 47 pages, double space, and along with the pie charts and diagrams and policy recommendations and everything. So there's another member, the, you know, who came after that person, Mr. Hanspal. So he talked to my vice chancellor. He wanted to say, "Okay, we want the study to be conducted, and you have somebody in sociology doing this work." So my vice chancellor asked me, and I was the dean faculty of social sciences then. So he asked me, "Are you would you be interested in the study?" I said, "Yes, I would like to do that. No problems." So then that project was given to me. It was called the socio-economic conditions of the Dakhani Sikhs in particular and other Sikh minorities in South and North East India. So that was the title of the project by the Minority Commission of India. So I had to work within that framework. You know. So what I had done was that I had taken two areas, South India and one is the Northeast. In the South India, we had the erstwhile state of Hyderabad See, where the, the Sikhs went there, and the Sikhs are resident, those original, those, sorry, those local Sikhs who were the inhabitants, original inhabitants of the Nizam of Hyderabad state. They are called Dakhani Sikhs. I mean, we have two kinds of Sikhs there. Rather, I would have three kinds of Sikhs there. One is a kind of the Sikhs who are, who went there after the partition of India in 1947, they are into the business of all kinds. The transport bazaar in Hyderabad is virtually under their control. And then there are the Jat Sikhs, who are the transporters and who are into the automobile business. And then there are the local Sikhs, which are uh, Dakhani Sikhs. Now, these, the, these are these, these type of Sikhs that I'm referring to earlier, they are called Punjabi Sikhs. And the Dakhani Sikhs are different from them. <clears throat> and they, they, they go together for the celebration of the Sikh functions, religious functions. 
but otherwise in social terms they have no connection no um, marriages no interaction of any kind the dakhnisiks and the punjabisiks they are different altogether different entities so dakhnisiks are those people basically who are the residents of the state of hyderabad which is now spread over three indian states of karnataka maharashtra and now telangana earlier it was andhra pradesh so these districts all these districts had this which were under the uh, nizam hyderabad they had this sikh population which were the part of the irregular army irregular forces of the nizam looking after the defense looking after uh, the the security of the treasure security of the forts and palaces and the people you know and collecting and the collection of the finance so this was the responsibility which was given to the sikh forces which were termed as irregular forces they were the regular forces in which we have different people they were the regular forces so when i you know wanted to look into this problem of dakhni sikhs then i can find my area uh, to only the residents of the sikh residents of the, the state of hyderabad which is called the dakhni it is known as dakhni so i had taken dakhni sikhs there in the sample then there are sikh leaders the sikh leaders are the tribal people they are the ones who deal with the, you know the making of the swords and the polishing of the swords you know and then there are the banjara sikhs who are uh, now taken to gurbani recital and singing of gurbani and kirtan in a big way and in most of the gurdwaras in the south you will find the banjara sikhs who are the converts local people who are converts to you know sikhism so i had taken these three broadly three three types in the in the south and in the northeast we had uh, you know the same like we have a dakhni sikhs here in the south we have the assamese sikhs there akhomia sikhs as they are called now they say assam akhomia is the right pronunciation and the right word for you know the, these people for assam so uh, akhomia sikhs are the ones which are uh, like dakhni sikhs they are inhabitants of the northeast dakhni sikhs uh, you know they the and, and and along with them we have one majbi sikhs the scheduled caste dalit sikhs who are residents in shillong and in guwahati so i had i had taken these two categories there and then at three categories here and they left all other sikhs of the other types into the business into profession or punjabis or migrants from pakistan or elsewhere i had not touched them because the idea of the commission was to identify such communities which need government of india's attention and so that they can be given some welfare measures so they can be their status can be raised up and all this so that was the project which was given to me well it's 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 um it's a fascinating study it's the first of its kind on on this uh this group what does your research show maybe you can talk a bit about the structure of the book as well uh the structure of the book is that uh, i have given one chapter to the dakhni sikhs and in the dakhni sikhs which is the largest which get the largest share of the chapter uh, 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 then the sakli sikliga sikhs and the banjara sikhs so i have given one chapter to them second chapter deals with uh, after introduction i mean the another chapter would be dealing with the sami sikhs and along with the sami sikhs we have i'm dealing with the majbi sikhs or the dalit sikhs of shillong and guwahati then i'm 
because it was an empirical study, you know, the first time it was done on these people, you know, particularly in the Northeast. A second one in the South, but first one in the Northeast. So then I'm giving, in another chapter, I'm giving the socioeconomic conditions of the Sikhs. See, uh, I, here I've done one thing. Because I was supposed to make a study which was about these communities, about the Sikh minority communities. And then there is a diversity of these people. But there's nothing common between Majbi Sikhs and Asami Sikhs. Nothing common between Asami Sikhs and Dakhni Sikhs. And Sikhligar Sikhs and the Banjara Sikhs are the tribal people, tribal Sikhs. You know, so we are, I had a very this hodgepodge kind of a, you know, a sort of sample, in which in which I was trying to make sense of their those people as you know as as the minority Sikh communities in this region, which are uh, deprived of their um, even minority rights and human rights as well. You see, and they are there for the last from hundred to three hundred years. Some people are there for the last hundred years. Majbi Sikhs, for example, of uh, Shillong and Guwahati, they are there for hundred years. And the Asamiya Sikhs are there for two hundred years. And the Sikhligas believe that when Guru Gobind Singh went to South, who died in 1708, you know, so they, they joined his forces and went to South along with him. So they are almost about three hundred years old. So we have this whole, you know, uh, uh, sort of, you know, variety of data. So I was trying to make sense of them. And then I, I said, how could I do this? So I did one thing, that I have taken Northeast as one region and South Deccan as another region. Because socio-culturally, geographically, topographically, they are the two different regions. You know? So uh, I have taken them region-wise. And then I have clubbed them into this and then uh, the data that I have collected on various socio-economic conditions of these people. Then I have seen them in comparison with their income, the three levels of income, low income, middle income, and high income. So this is how I have broken up the data and made into the tables. There are numerous tables in the chat, you see. Uh, so I'm, I'm discussing all these people together. Now there is, I see no problem. And I'm sociologically speaking, anthropologically speaking, I mean, it, it was a very difficult to combine all these polarities. So, but in terms of the socioeconomic conditions, which was, you know, the you know, one, one factor which is common to all of them and uh, something which was unifying all of them. So they are one on this count. And because my objective given to me by the commission was to look into their socioeconomic conditions, so this is how I made into this. So then there's another chapter after the socioeconomic conditions in which I'm dealing with all these economic, social economic parameters of these communities separately. And then also I'm making some comparison in between. And then there's another chapter which is called Local is Authentic. You see, and, and that Local is Authentic, I'm trying to argue that these people, these Sikhs who are there, they are local people into the Northeast, into Assam, and as well as in the South. But the Punjabis, Punjabi Sikhs, you know, they don't consider them Sikhs either. They say they are the duplicate Sikhs. They say they are the Nakli Sikhs. You see, they don't, they don't believe them to be Sikhs at all. I say that because they are the people who are the original inhabitants of that area much earlier than these Punjabi Sikhs and the other migrant Sikhs went over their places. So they, I call them local Sikhs. And I'm just trying to find out 
that what are the local roots of these people in terms of their community affiliation in terms of their marriages in terms of their uh, you know wives you know, and i have taken three generations original inhabitants you know elderly generation of the grandfather's generation and then fathers and then the sons in the talking roles and then i'm trying to situate them in the context of the language and culture that how they are so much engrossed into the language local language and local culture that they are they have nothing in common with the punjabi sikhs so local is authentic then i am going to another chapter which is called uh, the from the material to the mental in this chapter i am dealing with their culture about their religion about their religious affiliations about their religious celebrations and all these things and then and, and you know and and very interesting things you know which i which, which i would find out in this was Uh, that these six are you know they 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 feel not at all scared of any kind of a thing that we are living in a different area farther from punjabi six you know, or from punjab so they are much into this into the thick of the you know their uh, situation and into the culture and in the last chapter uh, uh, because it was difficult to conclude such a study so i have called it in lieu of conclusion you know in which i have mentioned but some parameters five parameters i have taken uh, which are the common things in all of these things whether i mean despite their cultural as i earlier mentioned they besides their cultural topographical historical regional differences now these are the common factors one is the oral history of arrival oral history of arrival in in this i am trying to argue out which of course is i mean these are the sort of conclusions of the book i'm trying to find out that in both the cases whether the kinesics or asmi six they both believe that they are the descendants of the soldiers of maharaja ranjit singh from punjab who was sent there in the deccan and in the northeast to support the nizam of hyderabad and there the chandrakanta singha the king of assam who was under attack from the burmese army And the Burmese army was extremely strong, very strong army. It was believed to be very strong army. So Chandrakanta was collecting support. So this is how they believe that they are the descendants of the soldiers. What happens in in northeast was that they, they lost the battle. So one Chaitanya Singh, who was the commander of the Sikh forces, he died. Then his wife took over the command. She also fought. She survived. and finally with a few people they just ran out from the battle they just saved their you know saved themselves and went to the forest and the one area which is where they are inhabited now they, they are not found all over assam they are into into one district only which is called nagaon 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 is the one district nagaon in where they you find all of them together and there are different villages you know in where they are settled borkola is the largest village and then we have a chapamukh where they first went there to burkola and chapamukh are the two large villages where they are settled and they are all married you know their their mothers and their you know you know and their they themselves children now they are all getting married within that 60 kilometers area of that district that's a very interesting thing about them you know that they are still confining themselves to that one district of uh, assam on the other hand when you find in the dakhani six now they believe that again you know they were sent there their fathers ancestors came in 1830 
In the Sam, they went in 1820. Here they came in 1830. And they have the same story. That we, uh, they, our, our ancestors came here to support the Nizam. And there was a lot of chaos, anarchy in the in the state. And the Arabs and Rohila, they were making all you know chaos there. There was loot and plunder, everything was going on. So the Sikh army, Sikh forces came here. They controlled them. And when they controlled them, then they became important. And then they were retained there. And then subsequently, in just after their arrival in 1830, they went there. And in 1839, Maharaja Nanjit Singh died. Now, once, you know, now there was a confusion. As they say, the some of our ancestors, they went back. But then others decided to stay here because Ranjit Singh is no longer there. And, they, and, they, and the Nizam wants them to be there. So they stayed put. So they believe that we are living here in Hyderabad and other, you know, headquarters, district headquarters of the Deccan state since 1830. And in Assam, they are there since 1820. So they have a very similar trajectories of movement as they believe, which of course the historians uh, don't like to accept this argument that they can't travel because the whole area around Hyderabad and in, in, in the northeast was under the British control. So the British army, you know, they won't allow them to move a contingent of army to move like this in support of another king. You know, and so therefore they, they argue that nothing such such things do, didn't happen. But anyway, that is that's a different matter altogether. But the important thing is sociologically speaking that they are the people who believe themselves to be like this. So that's how a very interesting thing is that they came from one, they believed to be originating from Punjab and then getting into two separate areas and getting adopted, adapted to that area and, 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 and totally assimilated themselves into that, uh, that, 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 that culture and that language of the people. And this is one of the sole points that our people believe, Punjabis believe about them. They are the duplicate Sikhs, or they don't know Punjabi. They can't speak Punjabi. In a, none of a single, only there are only two respondents in the in the 540 sample of Sami Sikhs who could speak Punjabi at, at home. You know, they don't speak Punjabi at all. And then in South, they also don't speak Punjabi at home, at all, at home. Only only about two percent people do this. And that's because of the fact that in Nandir, which is a very, we have a very prestigious uh, Gurdwara there, which is one of the uh, you know, thrones of the, five thrones of the Sikhism, Sikhs, you know, uh, Nandir, Hazur Sahib it is called. It is, it is a place where the Sikhs go in numbers around the year, in huge numbers they go there. And the Sikhs coming all over from all over the place, they know Punjabi, they talk Punjabi, they do Punjabi. You know, so that is why they, some of them have started picking up Punjabi and talking about Punjabi. But the rest of the people outside, they don't know, you know. So they are, they are, when I was going with my research fellow for the, for the field work, because I had to take up the local people who knows Telugu. So the moment, you know, they know that he knows Telugu, so they will switch over to Telugu. They are mindful of the fact that I don't know Telugu, anything about Telugu. I can understand Hindi, I can understand Urdu, I can understand English. But they will switch on to Telugu. It was very comfortably and very fluently talking and very comfortable about that. So now because of their 
you know, uh, so, so the oral history of arrival, I'm just saying, is that these people believe that this is how they arrived here. And they are very proud of this. They have no qualms about this. And the second thing, the second thing is after oral history of arrival is that I'm talking about the Sikh form. That these people, all these people who are there, whether tribal or others, they are very particular about the Sikh form. They keep the beard, they keep the turban, and those who have Amrit, they take Amrit, you know, then they have the Kirpan sword on their breast. They keep their beard loose. They don't tie up the beard. Only those who are into offices and things like that, they may tie up the beard. But there are other people, rest of them, they, uh, they, they keep their beard loose. So they are very particular about the form. That we have a Sikh identity and the Sikh form is there. And then uh, another thing I am talking about is the Sikh identity. I mean, form is one thing, which is their appearance. And despite 1984, Despite when the Sikhs were, you know, there was a Sikh genocide, as is often mentioned about, after the death of Indira Gandhi, the Prime Minister. And then the Blue Star had happened before that, attack on Golden Temple, Amritsar. Now, despite the, these things happening, these things, these people believe that they, 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 they are very particular about their form. And they don't allow their children even to trim their beard. They don't allow them. And, and they are so proud of this, that they they tell me, you know, that in Punjab there is no Sikhism. The Sikhism is virtually dead in Punjab. There are hardly any Sikhs in Punjab because everybody has chopped off his you know, head and, and beard. So there is nobody, you hardly find Sikhs in Punjab. So here you find Sikhs in Punjab. And they, they, they tell, historians are bothering about this, why the Sikhs went there, how the Sikhs went there. But they are very particular about this. They are very clear about this. They say, the Guru Sahib had a vision. He knew that the Sikhi will be saved only there. So that is why he came to South, Guru Gobind Singh. He came to South only for this purpose because he knew that the Sikhs will be there and those Sikhs will be continuing and running out my religion there. And otherwise in Punjab it is going to be, you know, vanished. It's vanishing. So they are very particular about the Sikh form. They, they you know, those who have taken Amrit, they may come and come home and take off their sword and put it on the on a, on a hook. But the moment they want to go out, they'll put it on. On the on their on the three wheelers that they fly, most many of them in Hyderabad, they have their Sikh insignia on their um, on their autos, on their vehicles, those who are on the cabs, on their cabs, on their houses, on the main gate of the houses, on the main front of the houses, they have the Sikh insignia. So they're very proud of their Sikh, you know, heritage and Sikh form. And then about the Sikh identity, I'm saying that those who are, they believe themselves to be the Sikhs. It's not only the question of the form. They believe that they are the Sikhs and they are the true Sikhs and they are the Guru's Sikhs. And it is their duty to keep forward, keep, you know, the 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 the, the light of Sikhism glowing in, 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 the, in the South in these conditions. So despite all adversities, you know, they would like to maintain their Sikh identity. And then they would say that, you know, particularly those people in the South, they say because we came here, that is how the Arabs and the Rohilas were contained. And we had a great prestige. And, you know, whenever we go to any place, we were welcomed, we were saluted, and we were, you know, uh, honored by the local people. And this is very interesting, uh, Raj, that... Uh, 
you know, they, these people, small, you know, money they have, they put it on, you know, they, they lend, lend it to the small money, money, small money, lend to small vendors and others. Nobody ever runs and forfeits their money. Now, because, they, because of their, and they say, because our ancestors were doing like this. So we have this image that nobody forfeits our money that we lend to the people here, where others, it is all happens. And, you know, then, then the, the, the people in the South, for example, or even in the North, the South Northeast, they, they, the local people, they feel more comfortable sitting into the cabs and the three-wheelers of the Sikhs. For example, you know, they, they, as somebody was telling me that, they had, that there's, a, there's a place near the hub, you know, IT hub of Hyderabad. So they have an area which is called Ramatnagar. And then many of the Dakhni Sikhs, they have their houses there. And they have made their houses in the paying guest accommodation. So the people from outside Hyderabad, they would come there with their daughters. They want their daughters to be staying preferably in their six houses. They feel more secure, more comfortable you know, as a paying guest in their accommodation. So this is how they say that because our ancestors were doing like this, because our, you know, we had the Sikh identity. And that is why you know, we are respected even now. And that is how they are very, they owe it to their ancestors. That because of their uh, grandeur, because of their honor, because of their valor that they showed to, to the local people, you know, to the kings, to the Nizam Hyderabad, that they could have their prestige status there. And, and, and interestingly, there are people from these, you know, Sikhs, you know, who rebelled against the Nizam. And, 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 they, and, and there is a one Gurdwara which is named as the Gurdwara Singh Shahidam. That those Sikhs who had fallen martyr fighting with the forces of Nizam. Why? Because the Nizam was dictating his terms and they were not making the dues, monthly dues to the these forces. And they were saying, okay, if you're not going to give us a monthly due, you're not going to be staying here, they're not going to fight for you. So they, were, they rebelled against the Nizam. And there's one another interesting case, Narayan Singh Murta. It's a very interesting case. He was a person who rebelled against the Nizam. He went into the forest and he started Robin Hooding. He would, you know, he would plunder the big commercial, commercial rich men, feudal lords, rich banyans, merchants, and distribute to the people around. And he was called Narayan Singh Mortar. Mortar is the name of the village, which is about uh, 200 kilometers from Hyderabad. You know? and, and then he was very popular. And then there is a hillock, which is known after his name, Narayan Singh Pahar. It is known as Narayan Singh Pahar hillock. And the, the, the people believe that the, the tigers were there and he was living with the tigers in one of their dens. And he was such a, such a brave person, you know. And when he was killed, you know, the, the, the Nizam sent his forces. The police would come over. And when finally, then there, was, then there was a lady in the village where he used to come for food and everything like that. So the forces captured that lady. They forced her to poison him. They got him poisoned. And then the story is that when he was poisoned and he died, he knew that he had been poisoned. So he first he shot the lady. And then he shot himself. And then he took his, like his own, you know, one of the chadar that is called a long cloth which they wear around the waist. So he has taken that chadar on, on him as his coffin. And then the people you know, talk about like this, you know, the myth about him is 
that that dead body was there and the police people surrounding him they kept on firing at him for one hour <laughs> and whenever there was a fluttering of the wind the chatter will you know the the bed sheet will move a bit and then they would run away from there that he has come up you know so that was the kind of a terror that he had so and this is how the even nexalites now the nexalites have have him you know in their own songs and you know talking about narayan singh murtha so this is the sikh identity that they are referring to as as their religious identity and then another issue here which is common to both the areas is the problem of punjabi language now here is interesting 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 in the sense that these people dakhni sikhs and assami sikhs don't know punjabi they don't know punjabi but they have to interact with the local sikhs who are affluent who are rich transporters wine merchants retailers cloth and everything and in cab owners bus owners they have a fleet of buses and trucks so they have the money now they have to interact with these people in particular in the dakhan we have certain gurdwaras which are under the control of the dakhni sikhs and there are other gurdwaras which are under the control of the punjabi sikhs but when it comes to the celebrations of the gurus functions or religious functions then they join hands they distribute you know that this function you celebrate here this function we will celebrate there and then they come together and you know because they have the money so the money comes from them now they do the celebrations but they don't know punjabi so these punjabi sikhs affluent punjabi sikhs they say that they are the because they duplicate because they don't know punjabi and a punjabi sikh must know punjabi you know no i am just trying to explain this because you know guru granth sahib is written in gurmukhi it's in in you know, gurmukhi the which is a you know different dialect from brajan hindi and in hindustani so that gurmukhi one must know gurmukhi to be gurmukh oriented towards the guru the face towards the guru gurmukh you know the face towards the guru and they say that because these people don't know punjabi so how are they can do how they can be six at all so they consider them duplicate six now they say that we are better six than you people you trim your beard you drink you do all kind of things which are forbidden in sikhism and still you are calling yourself to be six you say there is nonsense so this is the kind of a tussle they going on but when it comes to celebrations they do come together in in here similar thing happens in north north east as well now uh, we have two gurdwaras in the northeast one is at uh, dubri sahab dubri and the another one is at chapramukh where the azami sikhs landed first so they say that this gurdwara is important for us this is called gurdwara mataji the commander's wife it is known after her name gurdwara mataji so they say this is our gurdwara we will have one function here which is particularly the martyrdom day of guru teg bahadur the ninth sikh guru and then we will have the punjabi sikhs who dominate and control the dubri gurdwara they say we will have the uh, his uh, birthday uh, celebration there in april you know one in april another one in december they they decided they came together that all of us are sikhs and we should be fighting together for the sikh rights we are the minority so we should be to coming together and we should be celebrating our functions together but once again when i was there in 2012 then schism started again they they say that 
they, uh, they, they, some are Sikhs started believing that they don't treat us as Sikhs, they don't consider us Sikhs, they, they are controlling and capturing the Gurdwara. And when we had decided that we will have the function separately, they violated that norm. So this time now we are going to celebrate this function here. You know, so again, there is a schism between, between them. Again, the same problem that they are the Nakri six, they are the duplicate six. So now they say that we are duplicate six because we don't do Punjabi. You know, it is the lack of understanding, lack of knowledge of Punjabi that we are, we are called duplicate. So then the six at both the places, they are not trying to learn Punjabi. At least their children, they want the they want their children to know Punjabi. And in the Gurdwaras, they have appointed people, Punjabi teachers, who can teach them Punjabi. It is it is true both in Northeast and in South India. So this is the this is the complex, you know, that they they, they, they the Punjabi Sikhs have given them. And they are probably, you know, got you know got bitten by this. You know, you know, bug of lack of knowledge of Punjabi. I argue with them. I say, okay, you are not supposed to know Punjabi. You are not in Punjab. If you know Punjabi, who will you talk to? You see, who will you talk to in Punjabi? Because everybody around you will be talking either SMEs or Telugu or Hindi or, or English. You know, who will talk to you in Punjabi? But then, you know, the, they say, yes, you are right. You are right. you know, once again, then they start believing. Nobody looking after them. And, and and they have requested the Sharomni Gurdwara Prabhupada Committee at Amritsar to appoint Punjabi teacher there. And they have requested some uh, rich people, the local Punjabi rich people, to support such people. And they have they have supported some such people who are doing both the function of the religion, religious function they are also performing in the Gurdwara and Punjabi teaching is also done in the Gurdwara. So they are trying to, you know, pick up this, you know, fight out with the stigma that we want to know Punjabi. And we are uh, not real Sikhs because we don't know Punjabi. So this is the dilemma that they have, and I've done a paper on this separately, which has been published in Sikh Formations. You know, there's a journal from, which comes from Michigan. You know, it's called Sikh Formations. It's, a, it's quite an important journal. <clears throat> so and the last one I'm saying is because as Sikhs, you see, whenever you talk to these people, they refer to Punjab. Now we sometimes, for example, I was also taken by the fact that probably as the land of their ancestors, they have the love for the land. They have the, they are looking forward towards Punjab. You see, their orientation towards Punjab. But when I gradually found out that by Punjab and they refer to Punjab, that they miss Punjab, they love Punjab, they want to go to Punjab. But then I discovered that they are interested basically in going to Soran Mandar, Golden Temple at Amritsar. That is the place where they want to go. Now, in the in the south, for example, uh, because the, you know people from North India keep going there in big numbers. The Gurdwara Nandev, Hazur Sahib. So they they these locals, they, they, then uh, some Dakhni Sikhs also, you know, they were sponsored by these uh, Punjabi Sikhs. The train was sponsored, a full train you know, was sponsored for them to be carried to to, to Amritsar and other. Gurdwaras in the north, you know, and then they, they uh, on this was once again on the occasion of the you know, 300, you know, birth anniversary of the Khalsa, and then another one on the occasion of the uh, throning of Guru Granth Sahib as a guru. So twice they sent train from northeast. There was only one train, no, not one train, rather, 
it was 187 people, 87 or 90 people were odd people were picked up from there and they were sponsored by the Shrom Nagurdwara Parabindar Committee at Amrisa. They were brought to Amrisa and then they returned, you know. Uh, so that is how they have only once they came out from Asamiya Sikhs, came to Punjab only once. Dakhani Sikhs are more in touch with Punjab because they are affluent also, some of them, and they have been also sponsored trains to the Golden Temple. So this is how, you know, I have structured uh, my book about, uh, uh, you know, these uh, different communities, six in common, but in different regions, in different locales, different setup, different culture, different language, everything different in a way. There, your, your specific case study raises really fascinating questions about regionality and religious identity. And, you know, there's, there's lots of... Um, there are tons of parallels we can make with various other movements and, and religious traditions. What um, um, We're near time for today, but let me ask you before we close, what surprised you most about this research? What sort of struck you most about it? What surprised you most or what struck you most? Yeah, you know, what yeah, that, what that, stood out to you most? What struck me most was, you know, I, you know, I, I, I went from here. I also have the belief that the Punjabi, the Sikh must know Punjabi. Because the Sikhs are believed to be, Punjabi is supposed to be the homeland of the Sikhs. Wherever the Sikhs may be, now they are, they, they make a big diaspora. The world over, they are there, you know, in huge numbers in, in Canada and Europe and America. But they believe that their home is Punjab, you know. So when I also went there, I also believed, you know, that they should be knowing Sikhs. Punjabi, but they didn't know Punjabi. What struck me most was that Punjabi, people in Punjab, Sikhs in Punjab, and particularly Jat Sikhs in Punjab, they would not believe that the Sikh can be living in poor conditions, in unlivable conditions. The Sikhs in Punjab or other Punjabis in Punjab would not like to believe this, that Sikh can ever be living in such inhospitable, poor conditions. When I went there, I found the Sikhs living in slums. Tribal Sikhs living in, in slums. You'll be surprised to know, I mentioned, that there's one family in Nizamabad, 160 kilometers from Hyderabad. One family, 33 members are there, and they're living in a single room. Now, 33 people living in a single room. Now, we keep on talking of social distancing now with the corona effect. <laughs> of masking and social distance. How could these 33 people to a room can do all this? So that is the condition they're living in. You know, and, and the same is true in, in, in Sami Sikhs. Sami Sikhs, of course, because they are the rural areas, so a, a peasant is, is not in that bad shape as you find in the Sikhs and as, as you find people in the urban areas. But the Majbi Sikhs of Shilong, of Guwahati, they are living in as bad slums as Darvi is, for example. Their conditions are horrible. They do, you know, 13% people do not have the toilets. 20% households didn't have the kitchen. I'm, I'm talking the total sample. 31% people are living just 5,000 rupees per month income, whole household. And the average household is, you know, of the 85% people, 
the average household is three to six members in the family. And if you if you come to the literacy, that is only twenty percent. There is only one. Uh, the, the, the total sample was one thousand eleven. In the one thousand eleven sample, five forty in the northeast and four seventy one in the south. There was only one postgraduate, one percent, one percent people who have done their post graduation. That's called MA, masters, and those who have done their BA, undergraduate course. There are only six point five percent. So that is the state of affairs of these people living in deprived conditions, slums, socio-economically poor conditions, and they are they are they they have they don't have you know. They don't have their even minority rights are not given to these people. They do not have their own minority, you know, associations. They do have their association of the Assamese Sikhs or Dakhni Sikhs association, which keep on fighting for this, you know. But they are, for example, when I was there, there was a ceremony of collective marriage in South. You know, there's group marriages they have. They're very simple form of marriage they do. So they about twenty more than twenty odd couples were there. They were married at the same time in the Gurudwara. Now that celebration was organized by the Dakhni Sikh Association, not under their own name, but under the Christian Welfare Association, because the Telangana then uh, Andhra government will not give them the money, but they will give the money only to the Christian Welfare Association. So they, in association with the Christian Welfare Association, they are going to celebrate their functions and get the funds from the government. Not their own funds. So these people. This is what you know is, is most important thing to me. Start and of course second thing which I have highlighted much is that the Sikhs in Punjab, politicians in particular, they would believe the Sikhs to be a very homogeneous people. They are all the Sikhs are there, and every Sikh is just like you know they, they are the same. So they are the one group. They are not at all homogeneous. There is a whole variety of you know communities in the Sikhs. There is a huge variety. The tribal Sikhs are there, the OBC Sikhs are there, the caste Sikhs are there, the affluent Sikhs are there, the poor Sikhs are there, the poorest of the poor Sikhs are there, you know, and you know the uh, so they are living in these areas all over the country. They are spread out in all the metropolises they have, you know, but they are living in those poor conditions. Of course, the Punjabi Sikhs who are there, they are affluent. But the local Sikhs who are there, who I'm saying, the local Sikhs would be there for 200 to 300 years or 100 years. But they they are in the most poor condition. That's one thing which I found, which 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 before I had taken the study, I didn't know that this is the fate of the Sikhs there in the other parts of the country like this. That that's that is the most striking thing about this project is. Well, there's certainly a great deal about this project. That's illumining about socio-economic conditions and religious identity, and I think a variety of of, of learners and, and and colleagues and um, students of religion and Indian religions in particular would be fascinated by this book. So, thank you very much for speaking with us about it today. Thank you. Thank you. 
So for those of you listening, we've been speaking with Professor Barindra Paul Singh um, of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Punjabi University. We've been speaking about his recent Rutledge book, Sikhs in the Deccan and Northeast India. Until next time, stay safe, stay staying, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating the diversity of uh, the Sikh religious tradition. Take care. Thank you.